Hello everybody, my name is Neil White and from Backpage this is the big interview with Graham Hunter and it's the end of season Oscars edition. I've got my tuxedo on and down the line from the Dolby Theatre in Los Angeles, California is our host, Graham Hunter. Crowd noise, lovely intro, thanks very much dude. We have a bunch of nominations to get through and a strict international broadcast schedule to adhere to, so Graham, if you hear the orchestra strike up, it's time to bring your response to a close and get off the stage. I should say before we start that the nominations for each of our categories come from our wonderful socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter who get to participate in these shows and also get exclusive content from Graham and they also come from our sponsors Bet365. Okay, Graham, let's get into it. Oscar nominations number one. The nominations for Best Footballer in a Lead Role are Sadio Mane, Virgil van Dijk, Jamie Vardy, Leo Messi. Yeah, okay. Um, I wasn't forewarning this, and I'm really glad about the the categories the or the nominations. Look, I take the Leo Messi position on this, which is that Sadio Mane needs probably more garlands, more respect. His strike partner, Mo Salah, continues to do utterly extraordinary things. But Mane seems to me, in, in my lexicon of football, I remember when Aberdeen were fantastic and they were winning everything and Ferguson had a magical machine and we would argue who was your personal favourite, which striker, which midfielder, was there ever a back three like Jim Layton, Aunt McLeish and Willie Miller? All this kind of stuff would come out and Fergie was the one who went, Peter Weir's the one that makes us different. Peter Weir is the, the guy that teams haven't seen, can't cope with. The rest are individually brilliant, collectively brilliant, but Peter Weir. And I think Manny is like that for Liverpool in that it's an outstanding unit from 1 to 16 or 17 or 18 in players, then including not only the manager, but his, his coaching team, the, the rehabilitation team, how they keep those guys playing at that level match after match after match. Um and the scouting and therefore the owners. It's the one of the most cohesive corporate and football units that I've seen in my lifetime. One off, one off. You know, it ranks with others, but it's special. But Manny seems to me to be the one who does things that teams can't cope with, whereby he's will of the wisp sometimes. He takes responsibility that doesn't seem to get proper um, appreciation. And you could spend an eon praising all of those around him. But I think Manny probably deserves more recognition. You all know, socios, that we spent a pleasant afternoon in the company of Virgil van Dijk um, at the training, Liverpool training camp um, in Lausanne on the banks of Lake Geneva. And he is... I wasn't there. You you spent nice time by the banks of Lake Geneva. Martin Gregg also spent time. When our guests set conditions about which of the two editors they prefer, who are we... Who, I say again, who, I say, boy, who are we to argue, Neil? Who are we to argue? Had it been down it to, to Martin or I, you'd have been there. And uh, there's ointment, I think you can get for it. An extraordinary footballer that probably has given the, the core of strength, the core of leadership, the core of you'll not pass, thou shalt not pass, that Liverpool needed in order to just take the final step into the winner's enclosure. Uh, something, a step that I think they'll take repeatedly in the coming 12 to 24 months. But um, when you get uh, a race like this one and the second place candidate who was always going to be top or second says it's messy. 
And when you, those of you who are socios from a year ago, I said that Messi should have been <clears throat> the, the Ballon d'Or winner by a landslide. I thought that the year of 2018, Messi had been extraordinary, irrespective of not winning the Champions League. I think 2019, in terms of surprises, the things that he did that still made us uh, drop our jaw, the way in which he's got over disappointments like the second red card of his career, um, unfairly given, just like the first one, I think. And Sean literally dazzled us in a way that utterly transcends his nationality or his club side. Leo Messi is the greatest. He's He's been brilliant. And when big old Virgil says, yeah, it's Messi, then it is Messi. Messi wins this um, because of his, ma- because he is magic. Point full stop. Okay, well done Ian Boddy, socio Ian Boddy, you nominated Leo Messi. Thanks very much Finley for the Sadio Mane shout. Um, we're going to move on to our second category, the best footballer in a supporting role. So the idea for this one is the guy behind the guy behind the guy if he gets swingers. The nominations included Luis Suarez, Dusan Tadic at Ajax and from our sponsors Bet365 a great shout for Wilfred Ndidi a footballer who I really dig Graham would you like to go with one of these suggestions or do you have something else? Yeah that's a very damn good question um, yeah I have another guy in there in uh, I think uh, Jorginho at Chelsea is utterly under-recognised um, I think he is not only fantastic in his vision for a pass and his ability to use the ball in spaces first time so that other teams don't have time to react mentally or physically. I think we've barely scratched the surface about what he's able to give and I think that the more often that he's paired with uh, Golo Kante, to to a lesser extent it's Kovacic, but Kante and Jorginho to me are players of infinite resources and they complement each other brilliantly. From the list, I'm glad there's an Ajax representation. I'm not sure whether I would have chosen uh, Tadic or whether I would have gone for De Ligt, De Jong and Zayek, who to me is... And, and Van de Beek, they're, they're the core that made Ajax title winners, that took them to within you know, a, a nosebleed of the final. I was in the Amsterdam Arena, the, the place where you know, there's such a homage to Johan Cruyff all around the stadium and in the stadium that I couldn't help, you know, wishing them well but I was with uh, my friend and take the ball pass the ball director Duncan McMath who's a Spurs maniac and therefore in the stadium that night in the Spurs and watching that extraordinary performance where they waited until they were 3-0 down uh, with an away goal thrown into the mix before they drew 3-3 and went through to the final you'd have thought that if best supporting actors you know really earned their their solves then Lucas Moura might have been in there for that just completely bonkers hat-trick. But of the three you've um, mentioned, it's it's hard not to think about Luis Suarez, um, not for his Champions League performances, but because, you know, the the way in which he hasn't scored an away goal now, I think, is it five? It's certainly since Rome. I I think it might be five years. It's certainly since Barca drew 1-1 in the Eternal City. And the Eternal weight... Uh, thereafter uh, starts to indicate that Luis Suarez as an elite Champions League footballer is in decline but in terms of supporting actor in terms of a partner for Leo Messi Messi's never ever 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 had a better one and therefore he's got to be in the running but the guy 
who I'm most tempted to go for hasn't been named is Ed Nazard. He's never really been a challenger to lift Ballon d'Or. He probably got eclipsed in his best World Cup when they finish third by the fact that Modric and the losing team in the final wins the Ballon d'Or. You look across the France side, Pogba gets the headlines and Bappe is just absolutely gorgeous, luscious, went into paroxysms of joy about him last uh, December 18. But Hazard finishing his Chelsea time, having turned Madrid down where he wanted to go and said, I owe Chelsea a final year. He did what Ronaldo did at Manchester United. When Chelsea clicked their fingers and said, not this year, Eden, he just went, okay, you've been good to me. I stay one more year. He stays one more year. It's it's cruelly disrupted by infighting, by uh, a lack of love from the ownership towards the manager, um, aggression by the media towards the manager and certain fans giving up on his brand of football. Yet they finish in a Champions League place and they go to Baku, uh, which is not in the USSR, no matter what Paul McCartney would tell you. And after a rubbish um, first half of the four teams that play in the two major European finals, it's Chelsea who erupt into a a best version of themselves. And it's Eden Hazard who plays off the chart in that final against Arsenal, the Europa League in Baku, and then goes on a holiday, goes, if I can just say in inverted commas, by his own admission on the lash, or certainly stuffs too many um, ham sandwiches and chips down his gullet and has a couple of beers, turns up to Real Madrid, five, six, seven kilos overweight, loses it, copes with an injury, and then inserts himself as the Luis Suarez is to Messi. This man, Inazard, has become the same type of partner to Karim Benzema. So I'm going to be cheeky and say thank you to all the nominators for all the nominees. And I accept that there's been a number of allegations put around by quite a few allegators. And I'm going to say Eden Hazard, Neil. Eden Hazard wins it, baby. Compelling argument. I'll buy it. Third award is for best newcomer, and it wasn't quite a unanimous decision by our nominators. There was uh, there was a couple of shouts for Ansu Fati, but by an overwhelming landslide, our socios and our sponsors, Bet365, would like to heartily recommend Erlingbrap Haaland for this award. And before you chip in with either a yay or nay vote, I would like to quote one of our socios, Gustavo Bagatini says, I can pinpoint the exact date I became aware of him, 30th of May 2019, the then 18-year-old scored nine goals for Norway in a 12-0 thrashing of Honduras at the Under-20 World Cup. Less than four months later, he became the eighth player to score a hat-trick on his Champions League slash European Cup debut. Erling Haaland is patently the leading candidate because almost irrespective of his age, he's doing completely extraordinary things. And um, I'm fortunate enough to have spoken to a couple of people about him, including Jesse Marsh at Red Bull Salzburg, whose point of view is that Erling's an incredible, this is his quote, Erling's an incredible professional. He shows up early, he leaves late, he's always taking care of his body. He reads things well mentally, as in how he can get better. 
how he can take better care of his body and his nutrition. He has many ideas about how to go about the business of being a professional footballer. It's a benefit. His dad was a professional footballer and growing up in the business, this, all of this isn't necessarily a new thing for him, but it's something that he's pictured in his head all along as a club. When he needs little pointers, we're here for him. But he also has his family and his dad, a solid foundation. It's about, because he's so naturally gifted, it's about finding the right times to encourage him, to give him gentle hints about how to continue to grow, how to make, to be clear about his role. And Jesse Marr says every day he comes into work with energy. He's a lot of fun to work with. I don't think you get much better complimentary words to go with the fact that Haaland has been a scoring sensation. As we record this, there are rumours left, right and centre about where he's going to go, whether he should reunite his partnership with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer from Molde and sign for Manchester United. The hot money seems to be with him staying within the Red Bull group and moving to Leipzig, currently Bundesliga leaders. I don't know what he's going to do. And I don't I don't argue with the unanimous tide of opinion that this clever, bustling, hard-nosed, bright, likeable, articulate young uh, Norwegian might be our winner. But I do also think that we live in genuinely extraordinary times because we've got uh, João Felix at 19, Atleti's uh, most expensive signing ever, Kylian Mbappe, who's well over his 100th senior goal. He's just short of turning 21 at the moment. He's a world champion. He was champion of France aged 18. You know, you go on and, and you, if you want to go younger still, think about Jaden Sancho leaving Manchester City at Dort, for Dortmund aged 17. Already now he's, his price has increased massively. He's an England international. He was um, aged 17, Bundesliga Player of the Month, despite being in the middle of a change of culture, change of language. Ansu Fati is now not only historic in terms of domestic football uh, for Barcelona, because um, during this year that we're talking about, um, which I think was maybe October, September. He made his full debut against Valencia. And when Fati scored and assisted Frankie de Jong in that 5-2 win, he became the youngest footballer in the history of La Liga to score and create a goal in the same match. So you could go across, and I love some of these footballers, uh, Vinicius, uh, Rodrigo, the perfect hat-trick on his full home debut for Real Madrid, right foot, header, left foot. Taki Kubo, the Japanese kid who was at Football Club Barcelona, then went home um, because of the ban and is now a Real Madrid player on loan at, at Mallorca. Christian Pulisic, he was 17 in his Dortmund debut. He's 20, uh, given a big, big move to Chelsea where people have fallen head over heels in love with him. My contention is that Holland, if he's the top of the iceberg, we nonetheless live in genuinely extraordinary times, Neil, socios, when... Yes, this kid is is looks special. His ability to not only convert chances as if he was clinically cool, but also to do pretty special things and to shock opponents who should be able to read him better and physically to be able to compete with them as well as he does. Does mean he's extraordinary, but he's part of a tide. In my life, certainly in my working life, there has never been a time when so much expectation is placed on players of 16, 17 and 18, they're now treated as players of 26, 27 and 28 were treated when I was either beginning to watch or beginning to to write about football. And again, in asking 
people, uh, Ten Hag at Ajax, um, who was coach of that side that went all the way to, okay, the Eredivisie title last year, but also won uh, hearts and minds in reaching the semi-final of the Champions League. He thinks the most important difference is the internet, that the world is getting smaller. Teenagers are getting used to the world, that talented kids now grow up physically and mentally completely differently from before. Fabio Capello, who is quoted on this in the article that I've re- recently written about the whole subject, talks about the Europa, well, the Youth League, the UEFA Youth League, where kids are playing Champions League football aged 15 and 16 and travelling and learning about different cultures, different temperatures, different pitches, different opponents than, than what they're used to. All of this congeals together to mean that we are living in the most extraordinary of times. And I can't truthfully tell you um, for sure that uh, Erling Brat Haaland's first um, impact on my consciousness was during this calendar year. But if the socios want him to be at the head of the, at the crest of the wave of youth talent, I'm not going to argue about that. But he's one of very, very, very many. A golden generation. And that's a fascinating point you make about, I guess, the way to describe it is that elite careers start early now. You know, you're not going to get a player like that who develops at a middle-ranking club until they're 21-22. I think players of that talent level almost exclusively now are going to be close to the top by that by that point. What was that What was that piece, just so we can link to the piece for the socios when this podcast comes out? It's one of two that I've written for a magazine called Champions Journal. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit in a minute or two. Um, I'll certainly send you the link and I don't want to promote the the piece of the magazine specifically. I think it's an honest answer to this category, which was best newcomer. Uh, and, and it mentions the best football you'd never heard of in December 30, 31. There were some in there that I was aware of. Some, All of us were aware of some peripherally uh, and some who are now really genuinely bolts from the blue. But if you look across their ages and say uh, men at 17, men at 16, that's extraordinary. Okay, quick break now. Um, When we come back, we have the concluding categories in our 2019 Oscars. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to part two of the Footballing Oscars for the big interview with Graham Hunter. Our next award is for Best Director of Football, which is a, a little joke that I'll never get tired of. <laughs> so this, this is for either a, a director of football or a manager or just a football club who have levelled up in the calendar year 2019, primarily through, I suppose, recruitment and development and 
the nominations were were very varied for this one. So we had suggestions for Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, Jean Piero Gasperini at Atalanta, uh, Franz Beckenbauer, who was nominated as I guess a figurehead for uh, for Bayern, and Gustavo Bagatini again, his second heat check of the podcast says this. Marcos Braz is VP of Football at Flamingo. He put together the squad that lifted the Brazilian and South American trophies, and maybe world if they can get past Liverpool. Of the nine Flamingo players voted into the Brazil League's best 11, eight were not with the club last season. So there's the standard bearer, Graham. Who do you have to add to the mix and who gets your award? Whoa, 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 slow down. I have to go much more slowly than that. I don't know who gets the award yet, and I think that um, some of the socios would be annoyed if I didn't mention the fact that Monchi has returned to his club, uh, that he loves so much, that he has... How would we put it? That, well, he spent, first of all, he spent £140 million. It's the biggest budgetary escapade in, in the entire history of, of Sevilla. He's also done something that's pretty extraordinary given that he's utterly ripped up the way in which you would traditionally associate Sevilla playing um, he's built a squad for war they are it's Sitius Altius Fortius um, I'm not saying that they can't play but they are without question faster bigger more resolute harder and some of the Sevilla fans who actually pay their their socio fee their their abonados and, and support the club might be saying well that's what we want give us fewer frills just give us uh, Champions League football give us trophies I don't enjoy them so much and I'm, I very much miss uh, the fact that they they've lost artists like Ben Yedder and like Sarabia I haven't replaced them properly and while campus is entertaining I want to see Fran Mudo Vasquez in the in the team much more often, which is to do with the coach. This category cannot go by, despite the fact that Liverpool didn't need to do um, an enormous amount of business uh, during the calendar year. Their setup, their scouting, their how far ahead of other clubs they are, the degree to which they're investing in uh, youth, so second line of players who don't need to blossom immediately, and and the consistency of how they sell people that they brought in at, at huge profits, and they're not only in line that you know the, this transfer committee, they're not only in line with um, the manager, which is the most important relationship. They're they're in line with the squad. There there's a feeling with the owners. It's 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 a system. It's a machine. It's extraordinarily good, and they must get a mention, irrespective of maybe not having one single standout moment in 29. Saying, "Well, just, that's just off the scale." Now, as far as Flamengo is concerned, I don't follow it just as much as I I should do. But if I look at the way in which when Diego Alves, he of the magnificent penalty save record was being touted around and was available, I was absolutely delighted um, that he was going to one of the world's gigantic clubs. Certainly when I first knew of Flamenco, they claimed to have the biggest supporter base in the world and it was their centenary. And that's many, many years ago. But I met them first when they came to Glasgow for a friendly match against 
Celtic, where Fergus McCann wouldn't pay them the $50,000 fee that was agreed, and they went on strike, and they called my help, and I got a... No. You're serious with your no? No, Fergus. No, Fergus McCann refused. <laughs> on the day of the game, thinking, ah, they're here now. They're, yeah, you know, yeah. They have to, they have to play. Uh, <laughs> I'll eat my bonnet if. Uh, so, uh, they they phoned a mutual friend of ours, and she phoned me and said, "Listen, you, you've got the story. They're not going to play. The match at Hamden will be off unless they pay the." And in the old days, the Evening Times could do a front page splash pretty damn quickly. They did. Um, the Evening Times reached Celtic Park. Fergus paid the fee that he was owed to Flamengo. And I rode on the bus, uh, the Flamengo team bus from their hotel to Hamden Park, listening to Samba music. And the star of that team was Savio, who was an extraordinary footballer. So all I'd really uh, point out is that um, when Flamengo made these moves and, and repatriated La Liga stalwarts like Diego Alves, Felipe Luis, who is one hell of a footballer, one hell of a bright guy, and he might be coming towards the end of his career. Yeah, fair enough. That's, that's no problem to me. But there's another um, stalwart of uh, La Liga um, who made Atleti very special, which is Diego. And so clearly their triumph in winning their first Libertadores for... I don't know how many years, but beating Argentinians in the final in a dramatic final into the bargain. That's a huge contender. I'm glad of having um, a suggestion from outside the continent of Europe and respect to Flamengo, who, if I'm not wrong, should be in line to, uh, as we record, they, they, I don't think they've kicked off in the World Club Championship um, in Qatar, but they're they're in line to play Liverpool in the final. So maybe the case for them to be um, best director of football of the year increases. But I want there has to be a shout for whoever it was at Leicester that decided to say Brendan Rodgers is our man. Certainly Brendan Rodgers has changed while at Celtic. There's been a reboot from the man that got booted around in his last season at Liverpool. He, instead of, even however dominant he was in Scotland, instead of that being um, a slight black mark on his record, that it's, it's only Scotland, in inverted commas, it was, it was patent that he revamped systems at Celtic on a day-to-day basis, got them playing some football which was decidedly attractive, but he, he refreshed and upgraded. Celtic and Rangers have gone through in Europe, uh, to the knockout stages of the Europa League, which I think is absolutely magnificent, only partly from a selfish basis in that the more points they gain, the more possibility there is for my club Aberdeen to have a chance to play in Europe uh, and not in the round that starts before the last competition has ended. And kudos to Stephen Gerrard for the work he's doing there, supported by two different directors of football, I think, if I'm not wrong. Um, and the reason I pick on Brendan Rodgers is that he left behind systems that I know surprised Neil Lennon when he took over at Celtic. He came to Leicester with people saying, yes, but. And the yes, but now has disappeared in that without question, he inherited absolutely outstanding resources. It's a club which is tremendously well run. They suffered the most unimaginable um, tragedy, yet the ideals and the uh, practices have continued and it feels that no matter what anybody thought of Brendan Rodgers previously, right now, 
the consistency and quality of the football that he's getting from this squad and the ideas he's imposed on them seems to be something like the perfect match. So, Socios, Neil, take your pick of which of these cases, um, <clears throat> decidedly excluding Franz Beckenbauer, which I cannot... Sorry, Neil, what, was that sent in by Mrs. F. Beckenbauer? I don't think I don't think socio Ian Body is. He said absolutely nothing to do with Bayern Munich's football side for uh, quite quite some considerable time. And last I heard was arguing a complete memory lapse in order to force away some charges that have been pushed at him. So I think we'll leave France out of the podium. Socios, you can choose who's got the greatest uh, case to be made there. But it's an interesting category and. Um, FIFA Flamenco, Supongo. The Club of Zico. Uh, best Picture is our next award. And um, our sponsors at Bet365 sent in a really good one for this, which was taken on Liverpool's flight back from Madrid after winning the Champions League. And it had a tired but happy-looking Jordan Henderson sitting down with his feet propped up on the trophy with the big ears. More of Mr Henderson and that particular trophy coming up later, I warrant... But Graham, I think for your award, you're going somewhere else. And it's a bit of a personal story. Ah, uh, no, I love the way that as you were describing the Jordan Henderson photo, you immediately went into sub-editor mode. Tired but happy. Or feet up. <laughs> it is a brilliant um, shot of Jordan Henderson um, on the plane, the cup with the big ears, uh, almost dominated out by his big feet. But the reason... Uh, and if, if the, this has to be a sort of tactile experience and audio and visual uh, thing, the reason I've chosen the front cover of Champions Journal is that when it was first mooted to me that we would be getting a, a sit down with Antoine Griezmann, I, I was interested and, and not in any way intimidated, but a bit worried because uh, Antoine Griezmann's settling down period in Football Club Barcelona has been testing. He's a guy who's got tremendous character it can be very witty his goal celebrations are infamous around the world and I often find them extremely funny and while I was predisposed to like him because he's a character I'd, I'd witnessed him being interviewed a couple of times since joining football club Barcelona and obviously witnessed the what can only be called a debacle over the I'm not leaving video and then the, the video he was forced into making uh, several months later when he went yes it's true uh, Aleti have said that I've got to make this video but I'm moving to Barcelona so sorry fans and blah 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 I thought well what kind of experience is this going to be and then when the first interview was scheduled it just got cancelled on the morning uh, personal issues you can't make it but okay that's part and parcel of life you suck it up and then the second one when it's rearranged, Anton Griezmann turns up and it's one of those beautiful moments where the instant, the first two, three sentences are exchanged as you're sitting down, as you're preparing, explaining what the set is about, trying to make a, a good first impression. You're like, yeah, this is going to work. He's, he's in good form and under his left eye, he's got a big shiner. So he's sort of pretty handsome Mediterranean features are dominated by the fact that somebody's given him a kicker uh, right under his left eye. And it's at that stage where it's not fully um, first or second day, but it's still sort of that black-purple mix that will eventually become, you know, Norwich City green and green and yellow. And it's there. So it's it's got the... It's the eyelid lump elephant, sorry, in the room, which has to be, has to be talked about. So during the course of the interview, I say to Antoine Griezmann, look, 
the camera that's pointing at us, my mum and dad would be watching there. Could you just reassure them that it wasn't me that punched you and gave you a black eye? And before I finish the sentence, he's waving to the camera and then pointing, goes, it wasn't him. No fuel, no fuel, it wasn't him. So good, we got a little, uh, got a little laugh out of that. It, it, it's fun. Listen, if anybody's really interested, they can either uh, read it in Champion's Journal or they can get the inside snout here for me that it was in a wall when France were playing. I'm pretty sure it was Albania and they're in the wall together. Giroud and uh, Griezmann are standing facing the ball. And you're obviously worried about if the ball's going to smack you right in the hooter or, or in the noble zone. And as Giroud goes up, <laughs> he uses his elbows to elevate himself and his right elbow catches Griezmann right underneath his left eye and gives him the shiner that is uh, part of the, the interview. The experience is great. Instead of the 25 minutes that have been packed, we speak for about 42 minutes. And he's fabulous. And there's nothing that gives you... I don't think, um, other than the, the, the live match report on a really big occasion in journalism that gives you more fun than clicking with somebody that is interesting, that you admire, who's got things to tell you that you don't know about, and you're just there. It's a fleeting moment in time. There's no reason for them to say, yeah, I'll let you in, I'll tell you. I'd be, I'd be crappy. So many days if I was in his position, I'd be like, yeah, let's get this done, get out of here. I don't like the look of you. I don't like something you said, or I'm chippy, or I'm going to I'm gonna have a row with you. That's what I would be like. And instead, he is, he spoke like he played at his very best, and it's great. And then it's the photo. And suddenly, once he stops talking, he's tired. He's been on international duty. He's got back. His, his several-month-old kid has woken him up in the middle of the night. He hasn't been able to get back to sleep. And he wants out of there. And the cameraman, the photographer brilliantly says, okay, quick, stand here. Look like this. Look at me. Thank you. Turn. One more. Thanks. Gone. You're out of here. Lightning session. Too fast for words. Shouldn't have been that quick. And he makes Griezmann just look at the camera with his hand on his chin, full face, black eye, staring right down the barrel. The lighting is beautiful. And it's this dark, ominous, black-eyed, characterful football face that's the splash cover photo. And it's absolutely fantastic. So kudos to that. We'll name the photographer on the website when we, uh, when we publish this. And although last year I was all exuberant about the, the end product of an action photo in the World Cup, Kylian Mbappe, this time it's his, um, it's his France world. There's a theme. Well done, Antoine Griezmann, Oliver Giroud, and the photographer that captured that black eye. Giroud with the assist. Um, I'm looking at the picture right now. It's, it's fantastic work. Uh, I mean, the story about how quickly that was taken is frankly phenomenal, especially when you consider the lighting um, and the fact that he's got... I mean, Griezmann is a very smiley guy usually in these situations and he's looking deadly serious. And the combination of all those things with a black eye kind of paints a picture, especially when you think about what the atmosphere was and maybe still is a little bit around Griezmann and his place uh, with, with Barcelona. Altogether, absolutely perfect. And of course, we'll put this one out on social media and at grahamhunter.tv so you guys can check it out. Speaking of which, the next category is also, I think, going to be fought out amongst you guys, hopefully, on social media and, um, and at the website and for the socios, of course, at patreon.com 
forward slash Graham Hunter because it's best costume design, which is a fun category that we want to uh, use to decide what is the best football kit currently in play. So we've had a few. We've had a few nominations, including Sao Paulo, Internazionale, the Barca Away kit, which came in, which we are going to say, Graham, is the green? Well, it, it, there are choices. There, uh, listen, there it, always is. You, you're living in the days when, when there was one away kit, but there's Those now... There's the, there's the Crystal Palace um, team of the 80s uh, one with the, the diagonal David Bowie, Gene Genie stripes from top left to, to bottom right. There's the Catalan flag one, which is basic yellow with the, the claw marks of the blood across the front, um, as in the Catalan flag. And there's the great... I, I have to confess that the, the green one, which is a blaugrana collar, lime green that they I think they played in against um, Real Sociedad the other day. Socios, Neil, everybody listening, um, you're going to find out that once we get beyond talking about the the beautiful dandy strip with team recruitment and the and the white collar and white V neck um, that goes really deep, like a a huge V pattern, white down into the red, and the red shorts with the white trim down the bottom. I mean, that's just like, wow, baby. That's, that's Sophia Loren in, in 19, 1962 is what that is, man. That is just, well, hey. I have a particular penchant for seeing the current and probably most of uh, the real Betis strips. Um, yeah, even though there's both green and white involved. Um, in, in being used by Joaquin. So it's a fusion, which was a marvellous Aberdeen 1980s uh, club where I saw uh, the Smiths, um, of the guy who's wearing the strip. That does it for me. I'm not one of these who understands very well the branding, the companies, the the sort of identity. That and people, oh, look, he's, he's wearing Nike this or Reebok that or Adidas or that. My preferred brand is Adidas by a billion, million, trillion miles. But when when fashion changes or there's six different strips for a given club in the space of two years, no, no, thank you. But when you see like Joaquin in the, the colours of the club, he loves the current strip is very good. He's in full flow and he's scoring, you know, the, he's the, become the oldest man ever to score a hat-trick in La Liga, taking the title away from Alfredo de Stebano, that, that strip will be branded in my mind. I've got a particular penchant for the athletic club strip. It's got red and white in it. It's different from the dandies. But for my taste, when I'm at San Mames, that beautiful stadium on the hill, which is lit up like a glowing spinning top uh, above the city, looking down at the Guggenheim, looking down at the river, just this... It's like if, if if football were made by Disney in the 50s, that's what a stadium would look like. And it's utterly sensational. You go in, everybody's wearing red and white. It, it's not one of these stadiums where you go in and you're not, there's a, there's a scarf or two or a banner or two, but you're not sure about the club colours. Everybody's in red and white, which is the world should be like that. And um, those are two strips that I've got a big, uh, a big penchant for. Fantastic. I'm still going to open it up. I think we should get as many of you guys to sort of post um, photographs of your favourite strip at the moment in world football. But you, you also had a suggestion, didn't you, Neil, that, that wasn't Flamengo this time? Uh, Sao Paulo, yeah, we mentioned at the top there. Sao Paulo was nominated, Internazionale was, was nominated alongside 
alongside the bus. So, so Paolo's a Gustavo once again, um, a Brazilian football expert, and it's it's a beauty. Um, the Barca away one was just sent in as Barca away, and I'm not sure which one um, they meant. I actually, I actually quite, I actually quite like the uh, the diagonal strike one as well. So I might put that one in, into the mix too, and we'll see if we can get a poll, an online poll going. Now Ziggy play guitar. Okay, the soundtrack continues to uh, to our 2019 football Oscar show. We have two left, and we just about have enough time to squeeze them in. Let's start with best original screenplay, which is really your favourite piece of football writing. Um, so we've had a couple of nominations. One from um, Tony Evans, who wrote about. Brendan Rodgers' return to Liverpool with Leicester, which is a fantastic sort of way to use a, a contemporary event to do a really great piece of um, analysis and news gathering as well about something that happened some time ago. There was also a nomination from um, a great socio by the name of Diana Yao. Hello, Diana, who wanted to nominate the piece that Andy Mitten wrote about um, Diego Maradona, a trip that he made to sort of track down Maradona that we covered actually, Martin and I, in an episode of our other podcast, Between the Lines, which you can listen to uh, at your pleasure. Graham Hunter, we've got Andy on Diego, we've got Tony on Brendan. Do you have anything else for us? Yeah, listen, I need to mention two friends of mine who do extraordinary uh, work and extraordinary miles, and that Pete Jensen, often for the Independent or Mail Online, and, and Sid Lowe for The Guardian, travel the length and breadth of Spain um, interviewing players together, and they, they, they hit jackpot for me recently with a really revelatory and fun piece with Roberto Soldado, the, the key line in which was, like, somebody should have slapped me about the face and told me to grow up when I was at Real Madrid. And he talked about how much fatter and heavier he was as a kid because he was living the nightlife and going out all the time. It, 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 they, they don't nail Roberto Carlos and original Ronaldo to the wall, but basically that's what they're saying. And it's a really good piece. They repeatedly get good material out of people and, and reading either of them is always a, a pleasure. Tony's uh, is a friend of the podcast. Um, and his piece is, is forensic. It, it doesn't, in the old days, it might have been a yellow card. It's definitely a red card now. It's full studs in, in certain parts. But it's it's exhaustive. Everything is there. It's a great nomination. And he's a clever man. And he had a, he's in partnership now. We talked about Best Supporting Actor before. The fact that James Brown is was back at 442 and has got a partnership with Andy and said, what do you know about Maradona? What can you, can you... And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go over there. Send me over there, pay me and, and, and pay the flights and send me over there and I'll make something happen. That's old fashioned stuff whereby, as I've always preached to anybody coming through, things don't fall into your lap unless you go. <laughs> For things to fall into your lap, you have to sacrifice, you have to travel, you have to risk going off diary. It's what old fashioned editors did. They said, um, go to somewhere that there's a likelihood of there being calamity or interest or inspiration or genius or uh, a sob story go I will fund you I'll pay that flight I'll pay that hotel I'll pay a photographer and he did and, and Andy produced the one that I won't let this category go without mentioning and, and probably is my winner is that a few months ago Jonathan Northcroft again he, he didn't listen there's no way that you could say Sven Goran Eriksson uh, 
um, has ever been the Diego Maradona of coaching. He's far too nice for that. He dropped off the monitor. He wasn't apparently a pertinent football character anymore. And Johnny Northcroft, chief uh, football writer of the Sunday Times, went and sat down with Sven Goran Eriksson and got the most extraordinary stories about him and England, him and Alex Ferguson. Ferguson threatened to kill him. Ferguson threatening never to let a United play for, player play for England again. Uh, Eriksson deciding to, at 28 or 29 deciding to take the offer of his coaching badge from the Swedish FA, even though he'd have to tell his his wife to be that their imminent marriage, which was about a week away, uh, was going to have to be postponed. It's a piece that just encapsulates everything that has brought you, me, Martin, and all the socios here. You go, you speak to somebody who's had a lifetime in sport, who may have interesting things to say to you, who hopefully will tell you things you didn't know, and with whom you can establish that most fragile of bonds. Open the door, sit down. You might know each other, you might not. They might be in a good frame of mind. They might have just had a shitty week. They may be in the knowledge that there are certain things they want to tell you that they can't. And and through all these, this forest of, can I say this, misdirection, should I have said that? You forge a little bond, a little conversation blossoms from a caterpillar into a butterfly. You you you, trans, you transcribe the words and then you sit down and go, how can I tell this in a way that's completely honest to the sentiment of the interview, but is also not just a narrative, not a Q&A. It tells the reader something of what I think about the subject. And Johnny Northcroft did that beautifully in this. It's typical of his work. As I must admit, it are the examples I've quoted by Pete Jensen or Sid Lowe or Andy Mitten or Tony Ems. It's typical of them to write well, really well. And all I would say is that uh, glory, glory to the editors who say to the writers, yeah, if, if you come up with a good idea, I'll make sure that you, you get funded to go and we'll, we'll give the, the readers something special. Before we move on, I should also say that Andy's piece on Maradona was also the subject of an episode of Between the Lines that Martin did with Andy um, in the season just finished on Between the Lines. So moving on to the best adapted screenplay, this one is for your favourite piece of broadcast content. So it could be a documentary or a regular TV programme or a radio show, something that does football fantastically well. We got a nomination in from Bet365. It's very close to, I think, whereabouts this award is going to end up. It was about Liverpool's journey to the 2019 Champions League final on No Filter UCL on BT Sport. There was a nomination for something that I need to check out. I keep hearing the name, don't know quite what it is. Take the ball, pass the ball. Graham, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I think the award's going to go somewhere else. Graham, you sent me a link as we were doing the prep for this show to a short film that I was unaware of and had not seen. Do you want to start by, um, by describing what the, what the film's about? First of all, kudos to our sponsors, Bet365, for what they recommended, because it, it, it is literally what they say, an absolutely exceptional uh, chronology of how the winners got there, and it does feel behind the scenes. The thing that trumps it, the thing that makes me so excited, probably my second favourite category in, in this entire Oscars, is, and it's not meant to be incestuous, I, I don't think it is incestuous, but two friends of mine are lead partners in the film that wins this for me. 
Um, th- those men are Tim Jolly Lee, and you find Tim Jolly Lee um, on on Twitter. Um, a long-term friend of mine, a brilliant producer, and now a, an exceptional commentator on La Liga Television. And David Snowden, a fellow Scot, um, an award winner for his documentary in 2018 of however many years it is, 30 years or 40 years since Argentina 78. And between them, with colleagues, they won a Royal Television Society Award for the official UEFA film of the final. And there are several reasons why this has to win for me, because a film that only lifted the lid on the on the winners wouldn't do justice to the fact that Spurs arriving at this um, final was a really important event. They bring Pochettino and he sustains their growth such that they can build probably the best training ground in Europe and build an extraordinary stadium and still be competitive without spending money on transfers and reach their first ever Champions League final. And in the manner that they did, clinging on at the camp now, needing a late goal in the last group game and then sequentially going through in increasingly dramatic style and getting to Madrid. And Liverpool having their staff and their players being generous enough to repeatedly support the big interview and give us players who talk in the interview and then off the record about what it meant to them to get to a second consecutive Champions League final. And because of their uh, words and because of the um, sentiments that I picked up during those, I was able to say during Bet365 content, sponsored content, I think Liverpool win the 2019 Champions League. I believed in them. I got a phone call from some of their staff from Madrid just immediately after the final was won saying, you know, thank you for your words. Thank you for what you've been broadcasting about our football, not for your support, but for what you've said about our football. And we'd have phoned you sooner if we weren't in tears. There's another thing about this film. Madrid went crazy for two English clubs arriving in the final. And although fully support the change in English football since you know, the darkest days of the 70s and the 80s when fan violence was far, far more likely, far, far more predominant than it is now. The idea of the Spanish capital overcharging dramatically, um, flights which were unsustainably pricey, hotels which were ridiculously pricey, a city whereby it has to be faced. Not everything is within the law. There, there are there are fights, there are robberies, there are cheats, and, and they get attracted to big events like this. And both clubs, both sets of supporters, turned up and the behaviour around both the pre-final and the post-final wasn't just high quality, it was inspirational. The music, the, the, the attitude, the colour, the lack of problems, the celebration, the sporting nature of pre and post. This film captures all of that and it gets into the referee's room and it shows Madrid coming alive on the morning of the final. The dawn shots, the shutters going up. It captures the smell and the rhythm of the capital of Spain inhabited by two utterly different sporting institutions from North and South in England. And it shows you the football from a fan's angle, from a commentator's angle, from the player's angle. And it's it's filmed beautifully. I know what they had to go through on the day, particularly Tim Lee, to get the quality of access. And Alison, they had to cut a few corners. They had to not take no from quite a few people. When, when, when people said, no, you can't do this, quietly, calmly, they would do it. And the shots, 
that come together. But then the editing. This is absolutely majestic film work that not only got the Royal Television Society um, award, but like this could stand comparison with material you see in the genuine Oscars and the Academy Awards. It's a beautiful, uplifting film. And it's about the day, the geographical location. It's about the fans. It's about the passion. It's about the volunteers. It's phenomenal, utterly phenomenal. And even in a year when Leo Messi won the first category in these awards, this might be the most outstanding winner of the entire section. If you haven't seen it, um, we'll put a link to it on our website because I know that the authors of the film will be happy with that. And just watch it. It's completely nuts. Yeah, I can only second that. I hadn't seen it before today and we'll definitely link to it so as many of you as possible who haven't seen it can do so. It blew me away. It's it's as close to you know an art film version of football as I've seen since Zidane, probably. There are hardly any words spoken in it. There's no narration. And even when you hear people speak, it's really one or two words in passing. You know, they get... You see Klopp, but it's right at the end, or I think it's actually right at the beginning of a press conference when it's just setting up. You don't hear him say his usual shtick, you know, at the press conference. Pochettino, you see right at the end of the press conference, just asking, is that it finished? And I think you see during the entirety of the final and its aftermath, you hear maybe one word, certainly only one word in English, and I think it's Jordan Henderson approaching the section of the crowd that his father's in and just saying dad and for anyone who knows the background of that story and the reasons that 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 Jordan was particularly keen to find and dedicate that one to his father it's incredibly emotional and then right right at the end you get a very cool shot of Alison sitting in the center circle of the stadium that's very close to empty it's certainly emptying and he's still in his playing kit sat down on the turf and I would love to hear both sides um, of the phone call that's happening, but he seems very happy with himself. A fantastic recommendation from Graham. And if you haven't seen it, please do so. Editing is difficult. Editing needs a light feather touch. And that's what uh, David, Tim, everybody involved with it, well done. So, listen, thanks, Neil, for all your work on posing this. Thanks to everybody who's put in ideas or requests or questions. Thanks for being with us um, across another year. Um, you don't do it uh, to make Neil or Martin or I happy, but l- let me say to each and every one of you, you do make us happy because that we haven't discovered a better way to earn your living than doing what we do. Uh, so thank you for being there. Have an extraordinarily successful and happy uh, festive period wherever you are in the world. And uh, good willing, we'll all be sharing these moments again in, in 2020. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.